Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast. With you, as always, is I, me, him. Um, I'm having a stroke. Sorry. Uh, Joey. And I am joined by Miles. Hey, everybody. And Steve. Hello, I am Steve. 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 Steve had a robot orgasm about a minute ago, so he's still coming down from it. Ooh. It's a joke that only three of us get. Yeah, it makes it even less funny. That's that's what we do here. We like to do inside jokes that alienate the listeners. It's our vibe. Um, though to quickly get back on our good graces, we'll dive right in with a question from the audience. Uh, Ryan McDermott. And uh, if you guys remember, we were starting to do the uh, mounts of various things. Yes. So uh, Ryan asked, decide on the four characters that could go on Mount Rushmore. That is, name Jeffrey Rush's four best performances. Jeffrey Rush. Okay. Hmm. Oh, well, Rush, okay. Rushmore. I get it. At least somebody was uh, okay. listening. Good job, Ryan. Well, we, we, we've been doing a lot of other Mount something mores, so... This is a very literal one. I would imagine Shine's going to be on there, right? Probably has to, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would... My personal favorite's got to be um, the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Fair. I mean, not my thing, but I'm, I'm willing to put him in, put it on the uh, long list. Uh, Quills? Quills, yeah. Sure. All right. King's Speech? Uh, hmm. Yeah, but I, I, want, I want to believe we can do better than that. But there's four so far. So let's see, what can we add? Um, hmm. Mystery Men? Oh, I mean, I like oh, Mystery yeah. Men. Let's, let's put Mystery Men on there. I like that one a lot. All right, how about Munich? Oh, Munich is good, but he's barely in it. Yeah. True. He has a scene, but he's not anything special. Oh, you know what's a good one? Candy. Yeah, but again, kind of a minor role. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Hmm. That might, I think that might have been the ones, because I'm looking at some of the more recent stuff, and it's not going to be. Um, well, I would say King's Speech is probably the last, like, noteworthy performance that I can think yeah. of. So I think where we would be, unless we're, unless we're big on Elizabeth. Oh, actually, I think he's really good in Elizabeth, the first one. I would, yeah. I would vouch for that. All right, so we've got, uh, we've got Pirates, the first one. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, the first one. Quills and Shine? Shine has to stay, so... Yeah, Shine that. has to... I, I would go ooh, Quills for sure. Yeah. Pirates for sure. I think Pirates is his most iconic role, so I think that, that has to get on there just for that. So that last spot is really whether you want Elizabeth. I mean, if you like Frida, though, not really in it that much. Yeah, pretty minor um, role in that. I would say it's between Elizabeth and Mystery Man. Yeah. Is this a spot that will be used for a lesser-known performance, or is it for something big, bold, you know, more popular like the King's Speech? I mean, it's whatever we want. So I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna say Mystery Men. I'll I'll go with Mystery Men as well, just because I like how different it is from the other three. I, I will as well. Yeah. I love that movie. That's so cool. good. So ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. We did it. Uh, follow up from Ryan Filmaholic Face Office. Ah, Filmaholic Face Off. Told you I was having a stroke. Filmaholic Face Off. Emma Stone movies. Yay! First up. La La Land or Birdman? Definitely La La Land. 
uh la la land her performance is better and i like the movie better overall but it's close i like her performance better by a little bit and i like the movie a lot more so i'm on la la land also sweep the favorite or easy a i'll go with the favorite because she's spectacular in that as well i go the favorite as well but she is very good in easy a Mm -hmm. but the favorite is just it's such a good movie She's better in The Favorite, but I'm going to say I prefer the movie Easy A. Love Easy A. So are we going movie or are we going performance? Well, he said movies, but I'm just saying both. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Stanley Tucci is amazing in Easy A. Oh, my God. Well, Easy A is such an underrated sort of classic of that genre. But yeah. But that said, I still prefer The Favorite. Um, temporary side note. Have you seen what the people who made Easy A have been up to recently? I have not. So Bert V. Royal writes it, right? Then you would assume I want to see whatever else he does next, right? Depends. Well, there hasn't really been anything else is the thing. So that's that's interesting. But uh, even more so than that, uh, Will Gluck. All right. Oh, so he does Friends with Benefits the next next year. And that's not bad. I like it. It's better than uh, No Strings Attached. Like that's the, Friends with Benefits is the Justin Timberlake Mila Kunis one, which ironically has a brief uh, scene with Emma Stone in it. Oh, there so, you go. See, we're still we're still doing this. Um, but then does the Annie remake? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Then does Peter Rabbit? Ooh. And this year has Peter Rabbit to the Runaway. If it doesn't get delayed again, yeah. Yeah. So so maybe some of the. Uh, I'm going to say Goodwill that was generated. I mean, granted, his movies are making a shit ton of money, so he's doing something right. Just not uh, not really pleasing us anymore. Maybe he's just really passionate about Peter Rabbit. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Um, I guess I lied a little bit. So Burt V. Royal um, hasn't done much as a writer, but he is, I believe, one of the creators of Cruel Summer, that show that's on TV right now. So there you go. Don't know if that's good or bad. I know Harley Quinn Smith is in it, but there you go. Uh, back to Emma Stone. Battle of the Sexes or the Help? Hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, while well, well, you guys uh, dilly-dally, uh, she's better and the movie is better, Battle of the Sexes. I like Battle of the Sexes. Uh, the Help I do not care for. You know, I, I didn't mind the Help, but I don't think you're allowed to like it, so... Uh, I was ahead of the curve. Yeah, good for you. It's easier. So I, yeah. well, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed both, but uh, I'll go Battle of the Sexes as well. I guess I'll go Battle of the Sexes, but I don't have strong opinions on either of them. Fair. Uh, well, we'll wrap up with an interesting, interesting one: Zombie Land or Crazy Stupid Love? Oh, Zombie Land for sure. I like Crazy Stupid Love. I just think it gets super generic in the last third. And I mm. think the first two thirds are much more sort of interesting and innovative and make better use of the cast. And then it kind of devolves into speechifying and rom-com tropes. You know, it's funny just listening to the, your options here, how versatile she is and the right? different, yeah. you know, the different type of roles and, and films she's in. And, and now she's in Cruella. And it's like, she's quite impressive because at first, when I first saw her work, You'd expect her to continue down a certain path, and she hasn't. She's made paths all different directions. So, 
Yeah, I mean, here. Uh, well, pick your pick your thing, and then oh, um, I'll go zombie land. Zombie land, loved it. I mean, yeah, because we could we could literally uh, also do uh, let's see, movies no one liked that she's in by filmmakers who have Oscars, Aloha or Irrational Man. What's Rational Man? Yeah, I don't know. That. Irrational Man. It's a Woody Allen movie. Oh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, <laughs> It's a Woody Allen movie with Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone. Oh, that's right. I remember. I remember I accidentally walked into it when I was trying to see uh, Boyhood because the theater had the placards screwed up. So mm-hmm. I saw the first, like, opening credits, I guess, and was like, this isn't Boyhood. Uh, and then I left, and I didn't regret anything. Irrational Man is the better movie. And I'm a, and I'm a Cameron Crowe fan, but... All right, how about this? How about... Uh poorly received other collaborations with people she's also worked with before magic in the moonlight or gangster squad oh <laughs> uh, gangster squad by a hair <clears throat> but they're both pretty bad i'll go magic in the moonlight yeah not by much though they're both not great and then we'll wrap up her with a three-way watch it um sequels amazing spider-man 2 <laughs> or Zombieland Double Tap, or The Crude's A New Age. Zombieland Double Tap, for sure. I didn't care yeah, for I, I, this, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And The Crude is just one of those film series I really don't gravitate toward and ultimately avoided. Steve is a, Steve, uh, is a hate monger when it comes to prehistoric man. <laughs> I, he, doesn't, he doesn't consider them real men. I didn't want to bring it up, but yes, that's my stance, and I proudly wear a hat that says so. Homo erectus, homo no thankus. <laughs> well, on that note, um, yeah, I'm also going to go Zombieland Double Tap. I didn't expect much out of it, but was very pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen either of the Crudes and don't have any intention of doing so. And The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is one of the worst comic book movies ever made. Uh, I don't like it much, but I, I, I don't hate it. But yeah, Zombieland Double Tap was thoroughly satisfying. Without being particularly great, but it just did what it needed. Yeah, to but do. it was still, it was surprisingly um, good. I thought it was uh, for a sequel. Yeah. It did for a sequel way longer than it needed to be to come out, and way after anyone cared about it. Yeah, it did exactly what it needed to do. It reminded you why you were charmed by the last. Exactly. Movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of zombies and returning to zombies. Oh, uh, actually, Zack Snyder. not to complete, oh, wait. not to completely cut you off, but one more thing about Emma Stone. How excited are you guys for the new movie she's doing with Yorgos Lanthimos, where she's like playing a Frankenstein's monster? Because that I know a little bit about it. And yes, it's basically um, she's going to be a like sexualized child in a Frankenstein body, like a reanimated corpse. Yeah. So she's going to basically learn how to manipulate men. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo is is the the scientist. Is he? I thought Willem Dafoe would be. Um, Who's Ruffalo going to be? Because he's also in it. He, well, I know she's got like an ex-husband before she gets the procedure, and I also know she uh, romances somebody else down the line. Oh, because I, I think I, they said he was the main I, role. So. I, I figured uh, Ruffalo would be like a romantic interest, whereas Willem Dafoe has crazy scientists written all over him. Maybe. Could be. So they got one more like guy to cast. Exactly. So Colin Farrell. So what you're your saying, it's just another uninspired Frankenstein retelling. Oh, yeah. Hollywood just keeps telling the same old story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the undead, there we go. There we go. It's it's still all connected. <laughs> it's not as good as what I was saying before, but it works. Um, Army of the Dead. Zack Snyder. And I think Miles and I had the exact same response, which is uh, I really only want Zack Snyder to make zombie movies. 
Yes. Oh, my God. I've been wanting him to do another one since Dawn of the Dead, which I still probably consider his best movie. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. it did not disappoint. In a lot of ways, it felt like sort of everything he'd learned on all the movies in between. So to make a bigger, bolder, crazier, more CGI laden, um, you know, take on the same material. I, I had a blast with it. Yeah, it's a it's so it did a couple of things that surprised me because it seems at times like it's going to be a lighter movie. And then it decides to like have an insane body count, which is a little, little off from, I think, the tone early on. But it, it works. There's just enough like social commentary going on. It sets up for a sequel without like necessarily demanding it. But it clearly is open to a franchise. Um, and just visually, it's very interesting. I, I, I enjoy I, I think a lot of zombie movies by necessity are, you know, are low budget. They don't go very big in terms of scale. You know, one zombie goes a long way. Um, but this is sort of the one of the first things. Like World War Z was kind of the same thing, but a little different. Um, that could show you, like, here's a shit ton of zombies and what would that be like? And I and I appreciate that. And Vegas is a very aesthetically pleasing place to set any kind of disaster movie. So this this worked. Um, you know, the cat, the only thing that didn't, one thing didn't work for me. And then I'll, and then I'll turn it over to Steve. Um, and it's not her fault. I think Tig Notaro is good in the movie, but there was not a scene she was in that did not notice that it was either a reshoot or a CGI of her head on top of, uh, Christelia. So I would actually disagree. I thought it was seamless. And apparently, really? apparently there's no Christelia in the movie at all. Cause I thought that's what it was at first. And maybe that's it because we're kind of looking for it, but apparently I mean, they, they, I scrubbed they him said completely. that they did. No, the recent interview I read said they scrubbed him completely and just reshot her against a green screen and then kind of plugged her in where necessary. Mm. But there weren't um, there weren't even reshoots with the other actors. Apparently, Dave Bautista says he still hasn't met her. I mean, I believe that. I I, I find it unlikely that there isn't. A, there's a couple of scenes that I feel like really don't look like the head is right, and also just well, that could just be the, the shallow focus cinematography as it well. Could be. It could be because I would possible. argue most of the actors look that way in at least one shot or another. Yeah, it is. It is definitely here. I'll, I'll even I'll, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that 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 is true. It still is noticeable that every single scene is almost entirely without someone else in it. Like it's a very cutaway type thing. It's the only thing that doesn't feel as organic. And it may also just be that I know it. So it's like, oh, is it there? Oh, yeah, I guess I see where it is. That could be a little bit of that also. Um but, you know, I will I will say I think she probably did, did a better job than he did. Like, I've seen him in a couple of things. He wasn't anything special. Yeah, I think she and, gives a great performance. And also, I want to give a shout out to, I can't get his name right, but Matthias Schoenweiger, something like that. Uh, yeah, not Matthias Schoenarts, the yeah, other guy. Yeah, and I thought that's who it was at first. But no, it's, um, uh, he plays it's the safe cracker, and he yeah. steals the show, I thought. Every single scene with him, and especially the bromance he develops with... Uh, Omari Hardwick's character, I I just just all over it. Takes a little bit to get into him just because he's a little broader than everyone else. But once you get used to his like, okay, here's the vibe. Like here's the the rhythm of the scenes. Like you know, every time something scary happens, you get his like very effeminate scream mm-hmm. to to, and then he's got to you know learn to deal with the zombies a little bit more. Like I I I appreciate it. I I am curious about the prequel that he directed. Or what he's That's in. Apparently... I did he direct it? No, as he well? directed it. Oh, he wow. directed it and, and is in it. Army of Thieves. Well, and they it's like shot... a rom com set in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, he he shot it in Germany during the pandemic. So I guess it's like a very small, like, 
I'm going to guess he's in like a bank and then the first zombies are showing up or something. It's going to be, I imagine, small. Well, I don't even know if there will be zombies in it because the whole thing with his character in this one is that he's never had to interact with a zombie before. True. I mean, that would be a very interesting prequel. Yeah, with no zombie. A prequel to a zombie yeah. movie with no zombies. But hey. Yeah. Man, try it out. I mean, listen. Um, well, before I say what I was going to say, Steve, you, did you finish the movie? I, I'm, I'm about 20 minutes away from finishing. Oh, so I won't say what I was going to say, but give your thoughts. So um, I absolutely love the first, the opening title sequence, which I thought yes, that's was so stylized and it was, it was funny. It was gory. It was dark and it was actually had me emotional. I was like, how the hell did you do this in five minutes? When what he couldn't do with a lot of his films, he pulled off in the first five minutes here. I was a little disappointed that was kind of lost. I was hoping that style would carry over more into the rest of the film, but it didn't really. So that was disappointing. But going back to the Vegas comments, it had a video game feel at times in a good way. Yeah. Uh, the destruction of Vegas and the way they did it, the, the cool factor was really high. Batista was relatable and surprisingly good. Um, it just, just kind of shows you what he can do. And I wasn't sure if it would get stuck in one kind of vein and be an action, like a Resident Evil, no character development type film. It tried to balance that and did, I think he did a pretty good job. But if he could have kept the feel of that first five minutes going throughout the entire film, I would have been really impressed. Yeah, no, there's a there's a, there's a a broader, more fun movie to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not by Zack Snyder, though. Well, subtlety is this, not his thing. Yeah, no. I think this is his idea of like a happy light movie. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like this is about as mild as he goes. This is his palate cleanser after the shit show of Justice League. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, uh, Batista's pretty good. Um, very much, you know, your traditional monster looking action hero. Um, it is a little disconcerting at the very beginning when he's like the short order cook and he also still looks like that. <laughs> so, so you've been you've been keeping up with the gym. All right. Cool. Um they they did a good job with some of the characters. Like, you know, you immediately hate Theo Rossi's, like, you know, perv, uh, like, security guard. Oh, my God. There, and, there has to be a character like that in every Zack Snyder movie, I've noticed. Even if they're only in one scene, I don't think there's a single Zack Snyder movie that doesn't have that character in some way or another. Yeah. Well, at least this guy got to, you know, die. <laughs> but then even then, he got to come back. Like, he got a ton True. of screen time for somebody you're clearly supposed to loathe. Yeah. I mean, I guess he, you know what he is? He's every character from Sucker Punch. Oh, boy, is he. Yeah. Um, but, and then, you know, there, it's, there's a lot of, like, aliens homages in that. Mm-hmm. You know, even down to one of the characters just might as well be named Vasquez. Yeah. <laughs> even down to how that character is resolved, let's say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's fun. It's good. Too long. Yeah. But I didn't mind it as much as, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm the only one who's going to talk about it in the Heights. But uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, it's too long. But it didn't it didn't bother me because you it, it, it did up and it did the 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 pacing. I think the peaks and valleys made sense if that tracks like well, it, you needed it to calm down here and there. Yeah. Well, and I think it carries over from, you know, now that we've seen his four hour take on Justice League, he he. He doesn't like to do a quick throwaway scene. He likes every single mm-hmm. scene has to be the fullest, richest version of itself. And he really likes to linger on certain moments and build them up. And it works on a scene-to-scene basis. But I agree that, like, over the course of time, it does feel like, okay, a couple of these scenes could be a bit quicker. We could be a bit more efficient. Is... We could we could kind of get to, cut to the chase a little faster. I mean, he's built for streaming. 
Yeah. Like in yes. I got I, uh, here's what I'll say in the theater. I think I would have maybe been closer to two and a half. And then like, I just, it's too long. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was ready to be done, but on Netflix where it's easy, even, you know, in a in Netflix screener, a couple of days before it comes out to pause it and be like, okay, give me, give me five minutes and I'll come right back and I'll be good. Um, which is not ideal. It's not how you should be watching something, but let's be real with Zack Snyder. When it's that long, you, you need to take a break. Like, can you imagine watching the Snyder cut without a break? Oh my God. So this is like I don't need to watch it. I don't. I don't need it as a miniseries. Like I don't need that. I was just grateful the ability for the chapter to, breaks in that one for sure. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't take the chapter breaks per per se, but I did pause here and there, and basically, you know, watch the Snyder cut over six hours. Let's say, yeah, you know, the four hours turned into six. So like, Army of the Dead was a three hour movie to me. The way I did it, let's say, but like, it it kept it it kept it from 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 nagging me in any in any way i was just gonna say i i enjoyed some of the smaller scenes like the safe opening and you know he builds up some tension very well but i think at least to where i am at this point the payoff doesn't match the build-up well you'll see yeah you'll see there's still some things to come but i I do think there some of the funny things are like how they're going to trip the alarms by the safe (laughs) where they have to keep getting a fresh zombie yeah like that's an example of a scene that could be a 30 second scene Mm mm-hmm but he's going to let that be about five minutes of the movie. Or like how he lets Omari Hardwick have like a whole monologue about how they might be stuck in a time loop that like doesn't actually relate to anything. But it is this kind of interesting makes you think kind of moment and it kind of yeah. deepens that character. I just looked up. I, I, I'm looking at the DVD of Dawn of the Dead. So I just pulled it out to look how long it is. It's an hour and 50 minutes. So even when he was a no one, he didn't do short movies. Yeah. Has he made a... That might it's be his shortest, no? I'm actually going to pull that up right now. If not that, it's either 300 or Sucker Punch, but I'm not sure. 300 is definitely longer. So vamp for a second. I'd guess, I, I would guess the list. Sucker Punch. I mean, right, Sucker so Punch the... felt like it was four hours, <laughs> but... All right, so Dawn of the Dead, 100 minutes. Okay. Though I think that's not accurate because I'm... Maybe the unrated cut is 110? Oh, it could be. Okay, so we have to also keep that in mind. So... Let's see if he goes under 100 minutes at all. Uh, 300 is 116. Yep. Which, God, it it feels longer than that, but we can talk about that another time. Uh, Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, let's not even. <laughs> God, have you guys uh, seen the ultimate cut of that movie where they put the I pirate have. cartoon in? It's borderline not... unwatchable. It's yeah, so much. Saying, so I, I, have, I have the un, un, ultimate cut. The, I do the too, yeah. Thing. So the 163 minutes to start, right? Yeah. Then you have the ultimate cut. So I like all the, I don't mind the um, the extra stuff in the ultimate cut, but I don't care about Curse of the Black Freighter because if we're being honest, I skipped most of it in the comic also. Well, yeah, it's not even like you read it the first time in the comic and it's like, oh, okay. But like whenever I've reread the comic, I always skip that part because it's, yeah, cause it's you too know, much. It's also, it's, it's a quick metaphor that he, he stretches out. Yeah. Um, well, and also I think, the theatrical version of Watchmen already has pacing problems. So you add in all the deleted scenes and you add in the black freighter and it just becomes this bloated mess. Yeah. So here's a question. You said it's borderline unwatchable, but yet you own it. Why is that miles? It was a gift. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. I Um, I would not have, I, if I were to purchase this film, which I probably wouldn't have, I would not have purchased this version of it. So the, uh, legends of the guardians, the owls of Gahul. Oh, that, um, that could be shorter. I don't know. It, it is his shortest. 97 minutes. Oh, well, there still, you go. Still about the longest possible 90-minute movie you could have. So, Sucker Punch. So here we go. He just needs to make uh, 
kids zombie movies and he'll be at an ideal length. We could get him to direct the kids Billy movie that we were talking about last week. There you go. Uh, 109 minutes on Sucker Punch and I bet you didn't think it was that short. Yeah, it felt longer. Yeah, Man of Steel. 143. Well, yeah, once you get into Man of Steel onwards, he he has never made anything resembling a short movie. Yeah, Dawn of Justice, 152. Felt like six hours. Yeah. Justice League, I guess it depends on what we're going with. <laughs> and there you go. Even the stuff he produces is long. But yeah, still, it's good. Um, I don't want to say too much more because I don't want to uh, ruin it for... Steve, as he finishes up, because there are some things I wanted to get into. All right, guys. Do that. Maybe next week. It's all right. Just apologize to the readers. Or listeners. Both. The fans. Um, I do think waiting. it's interesting that Netflix is clearly doubling down on this as a franchise, because they did pay for both the, um, the Army of Thieves prequel and an animated prequel that we're getting that I guess digs more into the zombie war, like that's basically yeah. the opening credits. And then yeah, which... Snyder says he has ideas for a direct sequel. So there could very easily be a cinematic universe of this thing within like a year or two out of its release. I mean, I, I'm, I'm down for more movies. Um, I, I guess the template... Um, I guess this isn't spoilery, spoil, too much of a spoiler for Steve, like different locations. Yeah. Um, you know, they, knowing what, what you and I know about how the movie ends. The setting would not, definitely be different. Yeah, the setting would be different, but it wouldn't necessarily be, um, fully the same cast. I would say mostly a different cat, if not completely a different cat. You could easily yeah. do a, a movie that is like a spiritual sequel, like a Train to Busan situation where it's same world, but just completely different cast. That does seem to be what I think they're getting towards. It'll be Army of the Dead, you know, this location, Army of the Dead, that location. Right. Um, you know, because isn't the, um, is the prequel Lost Vegas? Uh, or something, yeah. But I think something it is like basically that. covering the war that you see in the opening credits, just in more detail. Yeah, or at least the the more wider... I think he also said maybe that it's going to go backwards also and talk about how they developed the zombie or found the zombie and where they're trapped. Oh, tra sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I can so see it that could also be it could also lead up to the escape. Yeah. You know, the end of the show could be the putting the zombie on the train to, you know, the... the, tr the caravan to go destroy it or whatever they were planning on doing yeah um patient so, x or whatever yeah which is interesting also i guess we'll they'll maybe they'll probably explain in that show that it's an alpha it looks like as opposed to a shambler well i i'm i think the implication is that it's the one that like then puts on the urukai mask and is chasing them through most of the movie presumably they it could be a bunch of people i i think that's the one I but think I guess that's it could the implication, all... just because that's yeah. the one that sort of they've sort of turned into a king. I gotta say, as a fan of world building in movies, I did think there were a lot of details that sort of made it stand apart from your average zombie movie. I like the thing with like yeah. how like the zombies hibernate, or like how there's a delineation between alphas and shamblers, and how the one girl understands that you know you have to like offer a sacrifice in order to be allowed access to certain parts of the city. You know, obviously yeah. zombie tigers, all that I thought was really cool. Oh yeah, no, I, I think that they they could have even explored it more. But like, listen, it's a movie, not a miniseries. But yeah, you could definitely have done if this was like a season of TV, a whole episode on. Just like, oh, so if we 
put a sacrifice, we can just wander around. Like you could give a tour. Yeah. You could have you could literally do tours if you sacrifice like a you know, um a deviant of some sort. Well, I even like how there's the one character who like apparently has a whole YouTube channel built around sneaking in there and giving headshots. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's there's a lot going on. I'm into it. Um would watch more. So for sure. We'll we'll come back to it maybe next week after uh, Steve has watched it and all of it and maybe after more people have seen it. Though I'm sure more, a lot of people have seen it by now. Mm-hmm. Um A Quiet Place 2, very good. Very very good. Um basically as good as the first one though different. Um especially considering there were no plans to make this movie until it made a ton of money. So back up a brink struck to John Krasinski. He's a human being, so he goes, sure, I'll make this. Cable put a pretty good story, I gotta say. It's, uh, it's bigger. Which you wouldn't think is better, considering how much the small scale worked in the favor of the first one. But it works. It's hard to explain why it works. Like, it, it should be way harder to be that intense and, and to play on, on what you expect things to happen. Like, everything that it did so well in the first one, it does in the second one. You, the only thing difference is, you know, you don't have John Krasinski to care about. Killing Murphy's there, and he's not quite as as important to you. But largely great, I gotta say. Yeah, I'm going on Friday morning to see this with my wife. Our our return is a is a married couple to the movie theater, so I'm excited. Mm. Uh, I I didn't want to wait for it to show up on Blu-ray or anything. I I want to see this in the theater. I cannot wait. Yeah. Speaking of uh, theaters, I actually went as a civilian to a movie over the weekend. Um, I went with someone who wanted to see Spiral, and I uh, happened to have some uh, complimentary passes to see Spiral, which we're also giving away to readers slash listeners, um, so feel free to let us know if you want to see Spiral. And uh, yeah, it was it, it, I felt good about it, you know, maybe, maybe one step beyond press screening safety, but I think if, you, if you're on the fence, it's probably safe. I, I would also preface by saying probably you should be vaccinated before you do this. But yes. Yeah. If you are and you're comfortable, I think it, I think it works. Like, especially if you uh, are willing to spend a couple dollars more, you could always do like the one level up theater, you know, whether it's AMC prime or whatever, where you have sort of the more like a table type situation. So you go with two people and you're sort of your own pod. That's uh, that's another way. I think if you're a little on the fence, I think I think it's doable, you know. And I obviously I err on the side of safety, but I also want movie theaters and the industry to survive. So, you know, if you're thinking about it, I think it, as long as you are aware of how to be safe, I say do it, um, and and do it for things that you that will need the help. Like, listen, F nine is going to do fine without you, but you know, and like a Quiet Place Part Two is going to do very well, but you know, not necessarily in the Heights. I'll talk about that in a minute. But something like that that's also going to be on HBO Max or is also going to be on Netflix. Like, if you give that your 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 time and money, like, that goes a long way, I think. I think the, you know, the 900K that Army of the Dead made last week or two weeks ago is not nothing. Like, that's that's a that's a, that's a thing you can hold on to as a, as a good sign. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. We'll see. I will gladly will be giving on, my I money think. to the theaters. I am not... I this did, this a pandemic didn't make me enjoy the luxury of watching films at home. It really made me long for the movie going experience. I can't wait to get back. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's going to depend on the situation for a lot of people. There's a there's a lot of layers to this. Like 
we are most people are not me so you don't have the ability to have things just delivered to you mm -hmm. and you know depending on where you live you're also surrounded by more or less safe people i think miles can talk to that he lives in the wild west essentially <laughs> the wild south more like yeah you know masks are a, you know a political statement by him yeah, yeah. You got a lot of uh, businesses that are back at 100% capacity. There are signs on the doors that say masks require, but nobody pays attention to them. It's chaos down here. Yeah. So, I mean, make your own individual decision. But I think we're, it doesn't feel unsafe. Like, everything's very clean. Everyone working there is wearing a mask. Like, nobody's, um, one of the things I've noticed is now, like, you know, the Coke Freestyle machine, They they fill it for you. You don't pick what you want, so you're not touching the screen. So there seems to be a, a solid effort to make it, you know, a good experience. And that, and that goes a long way. So when you guys have seen A Quiet Place next week, we'll talk more about it. It's very exciting. It's very good. And uh, I think uh, there's definitely a world to make another one. Which, again, for a self-contained movie, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, let's make another one. But they end in a spot that I think would... would give you a shot. Also, I believe there's a spin-off in development by a filmmaker who you would not expect. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. I probably read about this, but I forgot. Okay. So, let's say you were um, at Paramount, right? And we said we're going to make another Quiet Place thing. Whether it's Quiet Place Part 3 or a prequel or a side story, right? Is there someone who in your head you would be like, I wonder if we can get them to come aboard and direct? Uh, like, who would you think? Who would you hire? And then when I tell you who it is, just gonna, it's just going to be a weird choice. Not bad, but just very strange that this is the person who, who is also willing to do the job. No idea. I don't know. Ben Wheatley, he seems to be doing pretty random stuff these days. I mean, he's he's weirder, but you wouldn't. I, I think he wouldn't make as good a movie. But you're not like you're in the right area. I think. Steve, you want me to guess? I have no guesses. Ed Norton. Jeff. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an interesting choice as well. Uh, Jeff Nichols. Oh well, no, actually, that does make sense. He does do the the texture and the tactile nature of Quiet Place. I think fits in with his aesthetic. Yeah. So he's he's apparently on board, whether it gets made or not, who knows. But yeah, he also I think he's he's been trying to make Alien Nation forever. So maybe yes. this is like his, you know, maybe this will get me Alien Nation. Yeah. One for them, one for me, that kind of mentality. Yeah, I'll show I'll do a big movie for you if you let me do this one. And in, in kind of the way that I feel like uh, Villeneuve was like, I want to make Dune. If I do Blade Runner and it does well, you'll give me Dune. Although I think he was pretty passionate about Blade Runner. Uh, Yeah. I think, you know what, you know, yes, but I think he would have also done Bond as that situation also. Sure. You know, like, like that would have done it. Like, I think he was, he had his mind to do a massive movie to get his massive movie. Um, so I, I, I would gonna, say, may, er, hmm. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think there's a better example. Yeah, I, I don't know if he has. I, yeah, yeah, he's a weird one because he doesn't, he, he kind of. He does very personal sci-fi blockbusters. Yeah, it's a, he's not the right example, but you guys get what I'm getting at. Um, quickly, I'm gonna talk about it in the heights because um, it it so the reviews dropped. The movie comes out next month. Something else comes out on the 28th that I'm not thinking of besides a quiet place, but we'll worry about that later. Um, Is it Cruella? 
Yes, you're right. That that's it. There, I, there was another like on a platform and in theaters. This Cruella. Um, Steve can talk about that if he wants in a minute. Also, um, I'm gonna talk about it in the Heights. It's pretty good. I, I'm I'm not as over the moon as everyone else. Ryan wrote a four star review on the site. You can uh, check that out if you haven't already. This is a better example, I think, of the issue I had with it just being too long. Like I at a certain point felt like I got it and it was only half over and the, the musical numbers are pretty good, but they're a little repetitive. I think it also just feels like for someone who's not a like Lin-Manuel Miranda completist, you know, I, I, I like Hamilton. This feels like definitely like, Oh, I'm working up to Hamilton with this play. Um, sort of like a much simpler theme and, and it works. It's good. I just also, I think maybe my issue is, is John Chu as a director it's very like the, the the big scenes are they don't jive with the little scenes as much to me and i i feel like his heart is more in the big scenes where the little scenes are the ones i cared about more it's not these are tiny complaints mind you but i think this like it's the best movie ever made and it should be an oscar movie and this that the other thing or maybe a little you know it's a happy musical when we haven't had anything to be happy about in a while so i don't want to shit on it but I think it's a very good movie. People are calling great. I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to love it as much as everyone else, and I don't have to say anything else about it. Like you know, we're also again we're talking about something I'd probably give three and a half stars. So like, everyone can can calm down if they're like, "How dare you!" Like <laughs> I still like it more than people, the other people. Anyway. Well, speaking of films that we've seen recently, I think it's about time for another installment of our recurring segment, Radar Reviews. Uh, both Steve and I got a chance to see a new film that just released this week uh, that is definitely worth getting into. That would be the Danish film Riders of Justice. Steve, why don't you tell us what it's all about? There's a mother daughter on a train, and after an explosion, only one of them survives, the daughter. And uh, that forces Marcus, played by a typically uh, mad, uh, a typically fantastic and fantastic here, Mads Mikkelsen, to leave the, the war front and take care of his daughter. Uh, afterwards, he's approached by three statisticians who want to help him track down uh, who the bomber is and to extract revenge. It sounds like it sounds like more of a uh, Steven Seagal type film, but it, it definitely is not. So the trio are played by three Danish actors. There's Otto, played by Nikolai Lykas, and there's Leonard, who's played by Lars Brigman. And they both look familiar, but they don't have any credits that uh, I think most film fans would know of. And then there's Emmenthaler, played by Nicholas Bro. And for the most part, at least in my world, uh, they're pretty much unknowns, but they do have a long list of Danish credits. Miles, why don't you touch upon the director? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this film comes to us from director Anders Thomas Jensen, uh, who I'm a big fan of uh, because his previous one of his previous directorial efforts, Adam's Apples, was actually the first foreign language film I ever saw in a theater and sort of got me interested in that whole other side of cinema. And um, I would just say I'm a big fan of Danish cinema in particular in general. I just love uh, a lot of the talent that crops up. Uh, Jensen's done a lot of work. He's 
probably better known as a screenwriter. Uh, he collaborates a lot with Suzanne Bier, uh, especially on uh, the Oscar-nominated After the Wedding, also starring Maz Mikkelsen, and uh, In a Better World, which won the Oscar for uh, Best Foreign Language Film the year it came out, uh, both of which are fantastic and you should definitely check out if you haven't seen. Uh, he writes and directs here, and he reunites with uh, both Mads Mikkelsen and uh, Nicholas Bro, who are both in Adam's Apples. And um, I've got to say, this to me is probably one of his strongest efforts. Uh, like you said, the plot synopsis sounds a lot more basic. It almost sounds like it could be another Taken movie or something in that vein. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there's a lot more emotional complexity to what's going on here. And there's some tonal complexity as well. At any moment, the film could play like a dry, dark comedy, or it can be sort of an emotionally resonant, you know, father-daughter bonding moment, or it can be, you know, a very tense action sequence that wouldn't look out of place in a John Wick movie. And the fact that it can balance all those tones so well without anything feeling disjointed uh, is really quite an achievement, I think. It's really impressive. You pretty much nailed, like... The majority of my major points thinking the first about a quarter of the way through i was checking my watch and i'm like how can they sustain this it doesn't there's nothing that original about it but then you meet the trio and the trio becomes a quartet when they meet up with marcus and there's this element of unexpected humor like there's this mashup of tones and it's not it's abrupt but it's smooth at the same time it's like out of nowhere suddenly there's these comic elements that had me laughing out loud. I'm like, I did totally did not expect that. Um, and part of that's because of the performances, but you know, they're so well-written. Uh, these characters are just have this great, almost like a three stooges, you know, <laughs> comedy team type quality to them. They also remind me kind of as like old college friends who've grown up teasing each other. And that has never ended. Um, and, and it worked. It felt natural, even in this situation where it, it wouldn't seem like it would be a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take a moment to highlight some of the performances. I mean, um, as you mentioned, the actor that everyone's going to be most familiar with is Mads Mikkelsen, who is typically excellent Mm -hmm. here. He's excellent in everything. Um, This couldn't be further from his character that he just played last year in another round. Uh, So the fact that he can play both, presumably he would have shot them within a year of each other. Um, That range is just kind of... I think it's really going to stand out, especially to American audiences who may primarily know him from things like Hannibal or Casino Royale. Um, and he's such a chameleon, too. You know, you you recognize him. He, he can't hide. He's got a very distinct look. Mm-hmm. And although he's got a big beard here, it's not um, that's not what what makes him disappear into this role. He's just his mannerisms. If you played side by side his character from uh, another round and his work here you would think it's a different actor. The way he's popping up pretty much in like every type of film now and he's done his MCU stuff, he's he's done, you know, Hannibal. I think he's like an actor. I think he's going to be one that people are talking about in 20 years. Oh, I couldn't agree more. He's the amount of versatility he's capable of throughout his career and the fact that he consistently surprises with every performance. Uh, it's it's definitely pretty incredible. And uh, the supporting cast is no slouch either. Um, I think Nicholas Bro perhaps delivers some of the film's funniest lines, um, even though that character does have sort of this sort of tragic underpinning to him. Um, one of the most surprising performances, I think, was Andrea Hick Gadeberg as uh, Matilda, who's the daughter. In a lot of ways, she's kind of the emotional core of the film. And um, you know, finding a way for her to sort of 
overcome the loss of her mother and connect with a father who's very bad at connecting and very bad at sort of talking about how he feels and sort of their push and pull of wanting to connect, but both being such different kinds of people that a connection almost seems impossible. Uh, In a lot of ways, that's the heart of the film. And that's the real emotional meat here. Um, But the entire supporting cast, you mentioned the trio, they're all fantastic. Uh, Some of the best stuff in the movie, I think, is when sort of as a cover for their more violent escapades, they end up sort of creating almost like a found family therapy session. And um, they all sort of take turns sort of analyzing each other. And the more you get to know them, the more you realize that they've kind of all got tragic backstories. They've all got something going on in their past that really, you know, has rattled them and that they haven't quite been able to process for one reason or another. And at at its heart, that's kind of what the film is about is how do we deal with grief? How do we deal with trauma? How do we, you know, learn to live our life when we just don't know how to deal with all these emotions we've got going on? And I think the film addresses that kind of beautifully. So that scene where they come up with this cover of being a child therapist and, you know, to deal with the tragedy of the loss of, of her mother, um, I laughed out loud there. I was like, this is funny. And I thought, okay, it's a gag that's going to be, it's going to last a few minutes. And it becomes so much more than a, a joke. And it does. It, it be surprisingly finds ways to dig into these characters and to uh, explore all of them. Um, there's a, a very, like you said, there's a, it's a very, it's kind of, you know, very has some moving moments. It's got a, a, some a sweetness to it. This kind of, it's weird about a film about killing, but it's got a, like, almost like a, an innocence to it about who these people are and how affected they were by their their lives it's like they're i don't know if innocence is the right word but um as you start they start to explore each one of these characters they you, know, you realize the amount of depth these are not um caricatures there's they start off feeling like they will be and then you find so much more and that's one of the reasons i think this film's going to be it's, it's going to be quite rewatchable because I think you're going to be able to take away a lot more with each viewing. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, and even down to there's another supporting character we haven't mentioned, um, which I don't want to give too much mm-hmm. away about, but it's uh, Bodashka, played by Gustav Lind, who's um, this Ukrainian guy that uh, they sort of encounter in their uh, revenge mission. And initially you see him and his initial appearance, which I don't want to spoil for people, almost plays like, oh, it's just going to be a one-off like visual gag. But he ends up becoming kind of an integral part of the movie. And honestly, he delivers a lot of the best jokes, which you wouldn't expect given how he's possibly got one of the most tragic sort of pasts of all of them. And the way he intertwines and then Matilda's got a boyfriend. It's this ensemble cast. It's not just the Mads Mikkelsen's show. It's obviously he anchors it and he delivers a great performance as he always does. But everyone involved is pulling their weight. And the way that these characters play off of each other and the way they're differing worldviews and how everything in their history has sort of come to define those worldviews is a big part of, I think, what makes the movie sing. Yeah, I I think you could even take mods out of this and still find, you know, you'd have to rewrite it, of course, but still this, the, the supporting characters are so strong that you could still tell a great story. Um, Absolutely. Is, is, like it is a, is a, a bonus. He's fantastic in it. But but I was like, well, I kind of went in expecting a much shallower film. I was surprised. And I, I think 
Was there anything that you didn't care for in it? Um, every now and then there'd be a line of dialogue that maybe works a little overtime to sell the themes. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a little minor thing, and honestly, it could very well just be a translation issue. Um, but every now and then there'd be a line of dialogue that was just like, okay, no, we understand that this is what the movie is about. Or, uh, you know, how she'll talk about, um, you know, sometimes you just need something to be mad at. And like, even though the dad's not in the room, that's kind of obviously what that's in reference to. And so there's a few moments like that where it was a a teensy bit heavy handed, never enough to take me out of it and never enough to detract from the quality of the filmmaking overall. Uh, But that would I would say would be the closest thing I would have to a critique because to be quite honest, this is my favorite film that I've seen so far this year, and it's one that I would recommend to pretty much anyone who's willing to give it a chance. Yeah, I had a really good time with this, and much better time than I expected. It's right up there for best film of the, of the year so far. And I, it's funny, though, again, you bring up exactly what I was going to say. is it, Maybe it's just more of a translation thing. There were a couple moments, and it wasn't, that's why it, I wouldn't say it's a knock against the film, but there were moments of slight translation issues and you know maybe having someone danish in the room with me would would help clarify and smooth those out but those were such a i don't even feel good about bringing it up because they aren't even they're a non-issue sure um well like there's the one, there's the uh, one uh, character who jokes i'm not not actually from this part of denmark i'm from this part of denmark yes and i feel like as an american that completely goes over my head but i'm sure to someone who's a local that you know, it's like, oh, I'm not from New York. I'm from New Jersey or, or some sort of equivalent. Yeah. I don't know. I was wondering, was I supposed to laugh there? Was I, I, I don't know what I was supposed to feel. It, those, those are the little things. And it's like I said, it's really not a knock against the film. It's more like I'd love to talk to to the writer. I, I think it'd be fascinating to see where this originated. What was he tasked with? Did he come up with this from scratch and have this plan? Or what did it start off as a revenge taken type film and 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 transform into this because it just has such a unique balance to it it's not it's not like anything i can recall seeing um one thing i also liked it starts off with christmas music and and then there's these like chorus choir type moments do you have any uh, take on that like the use of music and why and or how uh yeah um, so I wasn't super familiar with any of it besides, I think it's meant to be little drummer boy at the beginning and the end. Um, but outside of that, it did feel like almost like a church kind of, um, like sort of choir. And I think, cause there's the whole sort of subplot about the daughter is, you know, uh, wanting to believe in God and the dad's having none of that. Um, and so it's not necessarily a pro church kind of thing, but I think it's more, I think there's something, there's like an essence of healing to it that I think is what the film is more interested in and how, because the moral at the end of the day is that it's all about the communal experience and how by, you know, talking through their issues and sort of bonding together, this sort of found family ends up all working through their issues in some way or other and all becoming sort of better people and more fulfilled people and being able to work through stuff through the power of that sort of mini community. And so to me, the the music sort of represented that in some way. Well, there is, they also touch upon faith. There's something going on. I don't want to give anything away because some, uh, some of the moments where the music does get used um, are key moments of the film. Sure. So, but like I said, this this is completely rewatchable. It didn't seem like it would be after the first 20 to 30 minutes. But as we started 
digging into these characters, um, it was just a surprising and very welcome surprise. I, I, it was just a very welcome surprise. Let's say it that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And also, uh, we haven't really touched on, there are, you could call them action scenes in this, but they're so simple and they're so brutally efficient. There's nothing here that feels like it's glorifying or glamorizing violence, except for maybe one moment right near the end. But even then, it's more about the power of, well, I won't get into the specifics, but um, this doesn't feel like a movie where, you know, it's not a pro-violence movie. It's not a, oh, action is awesome kind of movie. It's it's there as a storytelling necessity. And there's a sort of blunt simplicity to it that I think very much serves the characters. Which I liked because it, it you know, and, and that was done really well with the editing, too, in those scenes. Yeah. Uh, it kept them clean and tight. It's never showy. Exactly. Well, and I think that helps with the tonal or with preventing any tonal dissonance from like if the scenes were a bit gorier or were a bit more excessive in the violence, it would be that much harder to reconcile them with the scenes where True. characters are making jokes or characters are having heart to hearts. Whereas because it's much more of a storytelling tool and it's less about look at this awesome action, it's more about here are how these moments g- help us get to know the characters better. Um, it sort of all blends together that much more smoothly. Yeah, I, I'd love to talk about it more, but I I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to uh, plant seeds in people's heads. I think this is another film that you just have to be a little bit patient with, and um, and enjoy what what they throw at you on screen. And as it unfolds, I think people are going to get really wrapped up in it and find themselves captivated by a film that seemed like it would be just. Uh, you know, more of a toss away. Uh, I think this is one that's going to have staying power. Couldn't agree more. So with that said, as we always discuss on here in a world where competition isn't an issue, what could you see this film uh, competing for from the awards front? Um, I think you know, screenplay for sure. Mm-hmm. Editing, maybe even cinematography, some of the supporting actors, uh, Nicholas bro, and I thought uh, Nikolai Lee Koss, who played Otto. Actually, all three of the trio were great. You said uh, Nicholas was your favorite out of out of that out, of, the out of that trio. I think he stood out the most to me, probably because he was the yeah. most outwardly funny. But also, when he has his sort of darker, more dramatic moments, they really land. And um, yeah, that's true. So too. I think he had that balance. I think it's probably the showiest role. Whereas. Um, I mean, they're all great, don't get me wrong, but um, I would say Nikolai Lee Kass as uh, Otto is, it's more of a subdued performance. He's more of the guy who, mm-hmm. he kind of instigates the whole thing in a lot of ways, but at the same time, he's always the most reluctant out of the group and the one who's, he has a beautiful monologue in the second half of the film where he talks yeah. about his past that's just absolutely incredibly delivered. Um, so, you know. Well, in a- that's what I was going to say. That, that's one of the things, it, it, that one really hit me and I was, and well i don't damn it <laughs> we don't want to spoil <laughs> yeah yeah but that that really hit me and i thought that performance because it was so subdued and out of nowhere I, I didn't expect this character to have this arc when it all comes together uh it's it's kind of powerful and i was like i just said the amount of themes they covered you know the family the faith um you know it, it is like kind of like this uh, uh dysfunctional family in the end but even the more traditional family elements of it, they just work. 
How about you? Anything else? Um, well, obviously, in a perfect... Oh, direction. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, no, I would say director, screenplay, editing. Um, I would love to see, you know, acknowledgement for the supporting cast. I'm honestly, any of them getting acknowledged would be happy with me. I would love to see some supporting actress love um, for uh, Andrea Heike-Gatterberg. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Maz Mikkelsen, I'll never be upset at him getting nominated for anything. Um, yeah, I think every... I don't know. I mean, it's one of those movies where I kind of loved everything about it. I think... It does, you know, if we do factor in competition, I do still think it has a very strong chance at being considered um, when we're looking at nominees for uh, Best Foreign Language Film. But my thing is, I, you know, Mods is, is fantastic, but I would be disappointed if he was the one who got the nomination out of... Well, if he was the only one, absolutely. Um, yeah. But- yes, yes. Not that he's not, he's tremendous, but yeah, there are some less recognizable actors here who definitely deserve... Uh, to, to be recognized for this work. So if Mods is the only one who got it, I think that's a little bit lazy. If he got it in, in uh, paired up with one or two of these other actors, um, that would be a seem more fair. I, I would definitely agree with that. Because this isn't just his film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just because I haven't seen anything that I think tops it so far this year, I would personally love to see it get some love for Best Picture. Oh, yeah, true. My concern is it's getting wide release this week, but it's going against Cruella and and a quiet place, a quiet place, too. Yeah, actually, with the Christmas music, this might have been a film that would have done well, um, you know, in the November to December type release. I wonder what the original release date was. Maybe that was the. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if that had ended up happening, if the whole Christmas angle would have played more into the marketing. I enjoy the Christmas angle. I always uh, I'm a sucker for (laughs) for anything Christmas. No, I thought I thought it worked really well, and I also thought it made a perfect um, sort of bookend to the film. Because again, without giving anything away, there's a sort of mini side story um, about these two characters that you only see at the beginning and the end. But what happens with them, in some ways, sort of kicks off the entire movie, um, and just the thematic sort of circling back around to them, I thought was really satisfying. Uh, so same here. All right, so what would you give this out of four stars? Out of, I would give it four out of four. I love this film. Hmm. It's my favorite of the year so far. I think everyone who is open to seeing um, uh, foreign language films doesn't get uh, dismayed by, as Bong Joon-ho calls it, the one-inch barrier of subtitles, I think should definitely seek this one out. I'm going to say if you don't like foreign films, if you don't like foreign language films, shame on you. Grow up. Get a life, people. All right, I'll cut that out, but that's actually crazy. When people <laughs> no, I completely oh, I agree. Um, I would give it, I was going to say three and a half. I was on the fence three and a half for some of the things you said uh, reinforced what I had been thinking and actually even and uh, expanded on what I took away from the film. Um, I can't wait to watch it again. I will go with four stars as well. Oh, well, then my work here is done. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do we do next, Joe? Um, Steve, talk about Cruella. Uh, Cruella was quite good. Cruella de Vil. Yeah, that was in it. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Spoiler. Um, if she doesn't scare you, no evil I thing would be would. genuinely shocked if like a rendition of it of some sort wasn't in there. Well, I won't get into it uh, too much. I don't want to spoil anything. That's my, that's kind of my MO. Um, but from minute one, it's style upon style and not in a gaudy or pretentious or over dependent way. 
everything they put on screen that is meant to look beautiful is and it works and that's one of the things like visually um just a spectacular film the costume designs are simply amazing the sets are pretty incredible and really capture the london of the era and there's just something about her makeup they do this eye makeup on her and it's not prosthetics or anything fancy it's just more of a classic use of makeup that is just so effective and they just make her eyes pop it's almost like a special effect well the, well, the makeup and the costumes are basically presumed to be awards players already there's good reason you know the hair the costumes the the makeup all are all outstanding so when it comes down to the, the story it's i didn't really i saw the trailer i wasn't all that interested i'm like i've had it with the disney live action origin stories and reimaginings. These are chapters that weren't told for a reason. And when they're told, I rarely do care. But this is different. This one has a more of a standalone feel that is just a story about this woman, Cruella, and it works uh, without any connection to the previous material. Many of the previous attempts were kind of clunky where this one's really not. And it's really just a lot of fun from start to finish. It tells a story of a character that is interesting, even without any kind of surrounding context. You don't need 101 Dalmatians to care about this character. And there's more layers to it. There's some kind of, there's depth. Um, and they did so much without using CGI, the... Um, practical? Yeah, the practical effects. They use those a lot throughout, and they're surprisingly effective. A lot of films are so focused on the CGI and they forget about the characters. And this seems to be the opposite. And my biggest issue with the film has to do with just that. It's the final act where there's an over-reliance on CGI. And it, for the first time, took me out of the film. There's flaws. There's things in it in the storytelling. You know, we're weaker than others. But the high notes drowned out those low notes. But this is one thing that was so distracting. I'm, I really can't believe. I was thinking, did I see a... You know, a non-finalized version. I'm like, well, it can't be. It's a week beforehand. Um, but other than that, I had a ton of fun. I watched it. I actually watched it again. And I will watch it again. It's very rewatchable for the performances. Emma Stone is fantastic. She embodies Cruella. There's, it's, and it's not overdone. Again, it's not trying to be the, the animation. It's its its own thing in a way, yet it's connected. And there's moments of Emma Stone when you like that's a Cruella move. Like she just moves a shoulder, just a tiny bit. I'm like, that's Cruella de Vil right there. And there's a scene with a very famous scene in the animated film where they're driving and they capture that with a, a live action version of it. Most people won't notice it, but fans of the original animation will probably really enjoy it. It's fan service without being in your face. As for Cruella, there are many more layers to her than you would expect. It's not just a cartoon two-dimensional character there's a certain depth to her and i really appreciated how they dabbled in different genres uh, there's a heist film there's this rivalry similar to like a devil wears prada um there's just a lot more to it than initially expected and the music is spectacular there's probably about 40 needle drops throughout and some are on the nose and uh, again i was like well that's a little on the nose, but I'm like, who cares? I'm loving every minute of it. Every single one. I was like, whoever the music supervisor on it is, they deserve recognition. So overall, I, I would I would highly recommend it, if, especially if you can see it in the theater. 
any flaws that it does present uh, will be overlooked and forgotten because of the, the overall experience is just so much fun. And by the time you're listening to this, I think Steve's review will be on the site. Yeah, and it'll be shorter than my explanation I'm, just now. Well, also because I said it, now you have to do it. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Now I'm doing it. I don't see, worry. See what I did there? Don't worry. Um, before we get to one more movie I want to talk about, what's the next Disney character should get the live action treatment? Hmm. What are we thinking? So we, we, you know, because we always talk about like the the animated remake, like more like the Jungle Book and and, and the Lion. Lion King and all that kind of stuff. Something more like a character. So like this was, you know, not making 101 Dalmatians again, but making a character's yeah. origin story. Do we have something like that? That would be interesting. And again, you know, going back to it real quick, I think that's why it works because you didn't know much about her, but she was very an intriguing character. And um, and the way they approached it, it, it was inspired. A little more inspired than you would expect. It gave me hope in terms of future origin stories. I want to see the movie that explains how Baloo went from the jungle to flight school. <laughs> yes. Like, I want to see that oh, day yeah. he just got up, <laughs> put on clothes, and decided to learn the fly plane. Yeah, with the hat and everything. Yeah, listen, Baloo, like, they they just drew that bear in a lot of movies, a lot of shows and movies for a while. Yeah. Well, he's basically, like, you, you put him in a different color, and he's basically Little John from their version of Robin Hood. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's definitely. Is it, is it even Phil Harris? It might be. Now I'm curious. So give your give your guys picks while I look this up. Uh, one I would like to see is uh, I want to know more about Chernabog from Fantasia. People always call him like a big monster and he's a demon or whatever. But really, he's just like he's summoning a bunch of ghosts and ghouls and he's kind of throwing a little bit of a raver and then he goes back to sleep. Like he's not a monster. He's a DJ. And I kind of want to see that side of like what's going on up there on Devil's Mountain or whatever it's called, like from his perspective. He did not do the voice on Tailspin. That's just, that's that's sad. Wow. Missed I like opportunity. Your pick, <laughs> Good pick. But yeah, Jungle Book and Tailspin. I think more Hades from, uh, from Oh, Hercules. yeah. They get somebody who's not James Woods for yeah. obvious reasons. You know what? Unfortunately, I, I, I love James I, Woods as that. Well, I know. It's like I, he's one of the best Disney villains ever, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to take the clear opportunity I have to make a certain joke. I'm going to let it slide for the first time in a long time. Because I know who the casting should be then. No, that, uh-huh. yeah, you can, you, can, you can keep that to yourself. Exactly. Um, so I think this, like we said, I think this is the way to go. Um, and, and overall, just finding a unique story to tell and looking at alternative ways of, of finding a story, which leads me to the last movie I'm going to talk about. Zola. Where's the? Yeah, right. I haven't. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I was you. waiting for a reaction from either of you. I know, but I was waiting for some like, ooh. Yeah, yeah I, I know. You, I Twitter, you already told me what you thought about it. I just, just. But this do is your performance. Bit, this is performative. <laughs> right, hold on, hold on. What you saw it? Hold, tell me more. What? I mean, you didn't have to do that. I meant more like, ooh, oh, ooh. Um, there you go. Fuck you both. Um, all right. Feed we'll me the fix line. In post. All right. So, yes, I saw Zola. I uh, I love the original. Shut up. I love the original <laughs> Twitter thread. Steve, have you read the Twitter thread? No, I have not. I highly recommend it. Miles, you have, I believe, right? No. And have you read the Rolling Stone article? I, I've read neither. <laughs> oh, my God. You haven't done either? Oh, well, both of you have homework because one of the things I'll, 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 the, the movie's great. It's my favorite movie of the year so far. 
one of the very interesting things it does, and I'm pretty sure it's doing this. I haven't double checked, but it, it, it's it, it's too on the on the spot not to be true. Is whenever they quote one of the tweets directly, you hear the original like Twitter like bird sound, the tweet tweet, and just like it's this little cue to be like, no, this is what really happened. As you get into some ri absolute ridiculousness, um, very visually unique. Um, very interesting in the way it deals with obviously a story that could be very sleazy. So obviously a very sexual story. The only nudity is male and very objectifying of the men, which I think is a very interesting choice. And Riley Keough and Taylor Page are phenomenal. Coleman Domingo is great. It's a lot of fun, especially if you like like Spring Breakers. You'll like this. And if you, if you, I, I do highly recommend reading the tweets because the tweets are even more extreme. So the things that they tone down for the movie make a lot of sense. There's like two or three things that they decided not to actually show in the movie because it would be, you would, I think the thing is you kind of like these people even when they're behaving badly. And a couple of things are like too far over the line, I think, to still relate to them. But it's, it's just such a like timely movie because this is, this is what like, humanity of 2021 is like speaking in social media lingo and like uh, it just it, it feels of the moment in a way that the the great films are so i'm i'm all about it wildly wildly in love with this movie now that said it. does it feel like an oscar movie probably not okay. um now i mean original screenplay i guess it would be adapted screenplay um or would it be is Twitter an original thing? I, I really um, wanted to get nominated yeah. now just so I can see adapted from the tweets by. I mean, the credits in the movie are based on the tweets by. Okay. As as well as the Rolling Stone articles. Okay. I think that might be their way around it. Sure. Um, because God knows I, I could only. Also, interestingly, um, produced by Killer Films. You know, Christine Vashon and um, Todd Haynes' company. So that's an interesting, like. And it's A24. Like, it, it is, it's, it's definitely made by, like, the right people to do this story. Um, yeah, it says, based on Zola Tells All, the real story behind the greatest stripper saga ever tweeted by David Kushner, which is the Rolling Stone article, and tweets by Ozzy Azola King. So, the tweets are literally part of the uh, credits. So, I guess it would be adapted. Um, I could see that happening, maybe. Especially if it's a lighter year and... and if it continues to do well, like I think it's 89% of Rotten Tomatoes right now. And that's only based on the, uh, the Sundance reviews, I believe, because it's not coming out until the end of June. So we're about a month early on this. Um, Mika Levy did the music, which is always, uh, I think, exciting now. Like Mika Levy is an Oscar winner waiting to happen. What, what else have they done? Uh, Under the Skin and Jackie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd agree with yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I was like, I got. Oh, you didn't. You just didn't know who I was talking about. Yeah, I, I um, didn't know the name, but I do know both those scores, yeah. and they're very good. The editor is Joy McMillan, editor of Moonlight. Okay. Oh, I can kind of see that, and I mean, I guess the editing of the trailer doesn't necessarily match the movie, but A twenty four keeps certain things in house. Yeah, like it, it is, and you know, very, very, very well made. So can't recommend it enough. We'll have more to say about it soon. Review will be probably a week of release, so we got some time there. Um, so we're going to wrap up now, keep it a little short, because you also have uh, heard our bonus episode yesterday. And uh, that's probably all we need to ever say about that again. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. 
Um, we had a good time. Joey Mostly. and Ryan had a good time. I muscled through. Yeah, but you're a performer. You did it. I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, we definitely did enjoy it. We're going to find something else that uh, slightly less embarrasses Miles to continue doing. Mm. Because oh, we the, can do something the, fun. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. We we having the periodic like improv fake interview type comedy podcast episode is a blast, and we I think we do a good job with it. So perhaps less of a cancelable topic in the future would be a good idea. <laughs> but you know, Just we maybe. made it this far with no one giving. The funny part is nobody's giving a shit. Like it's completely fine. So that's either a very good sign or a very bad sign. So we'll see. We will see what we come up with next, but that will uh, that will continue. We haven't figured out how yet, but you know, if you have an idea, let us know. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be back next week. Next week we'll have, like I said, we'll talk more about a quiet place because everyone will have seen it. Uh, we have some more people on next week. I'm not sure exactly who. We might have um, some writers who you haven't heard before on the show. So Ooh. something to look out for. Yeah. See how some new voices uh, work out. Ooh. You know, Ryan's not here for me to be like, you've been replaced. But, you know, he's not not been replaced. Not kidding. Um, so here, say where you can be found. And let's do the thing we were doing a while back. Recommend me a movie. Just any movie? I mean, preferably a good one. Okay. Uh, well, you can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short film, American Exorcist, uh, which is on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures. And stay tuned because there are some new things in the works that I can hopefully talk more about quite soon. Um, a film to recommend. All right. If you were a fan of 90s guilty pleasure action movies... I watched one last night that I wasn't very familiar with, and it might be one of my new favorites. It's called Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> it is John Woo's English language directorial debut, and it is just a blast. If you're into people running around in slow motion with their mullets sw swishing gracefully in the air while they fire two bullets or two guns and just doves and pigeons flying everywhere, it's an two absolute bullets. blast. Two bullets. They fire two bullets out of two guns. It's great. It's no, I, I, I had a lot of fun with it. And if you if you want like a guilty pleasure action movie, you can't go wrong. I mean, well, how do you feel about Sudden Death? I haven't seen it. Oh, wait, is oh, that wait. or Sudden Impact? Is that what you mean? Nope. Sudden Death is uh, is the Jean-Claude Van Damme one that, where it's he's... the hockey one, right? It's the hockey game. Yes. Yeah, I've oh, seen yeah. It. it's not as good. <laughs> Garbage. It, it yep. doesn't lean as as much into the silliness of its premise, which I think is it's biggest no movie. that one's that one's straight up like die hard was good right let's make die hard it's trying to be too serious when it needs to be sillier there's a great scene where he fights a woman in like a mascot uh costume in the kitchen and that's a lot yes. of fun but there's nothing else in the movie that's that fun but hard target is just all silliness all the time and it uh, benefits from it lance henriksen plays the villain he's fantastic it's it's a good time side question as we and then steve you can say where to follow you. i want everyone to answer them was there a trailer for a movie that ultimately turned out to be garbage that initially you were just like, oh, God, I can't wait to see this? Oh. Yeah, Suicide Squad. Ah, yeah, that's fair enough. Call. Steve? Uh, I have to think. I don't know. That, that, I, I like that answer, though. Uh, yeah. Because that was such a bust. 
I mean, we could go with that one. I, uh, I don't think say... I've ever been so disappointed for a movie, like, relative to expectations. Everyone I mean, always talks about, like, The Phantom Menace and other things that they were so psyched for and no. just let them down. I was so excited for Suicide Squad and just, it was just such a nothing movie. The thing is, The Phantom I mean, Menace say, trailer yeah. doesn't really promise anything great. It kind of delivers what it is. Yeah. You know, it's really not a great trailer. The Ooh. Suicide Squad, it, what kind of scares me with this, the upcoming sequel is I still have this bad feeling that we're going to get duped again, even though there's barely anybody connected to it other than the cast. Um, you know, this is the James Gunn we'll see. film. That's right. That's is so much better. Oh. I don't know. We'll see. Well, and also um, James Gunn doesn't make bad movies. Yeah. But still yeah. I had this weird feeling. It's like, it's like getting burned and then, you know, going back again. Yeah. Well, you bring, you bring up an interesting point that I'm going to tie into something else in a minute. I forgot we had one more thing to talk about, but I'm going to, I'm going to present you two options for this trailer thing. Uh, one would be um, Prometheus. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And the other would be the relic. What's the relic? Oh, the relic is a ancient monster thing running around the Museum of Natural History. Oh, that one, not relic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that trailer was 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 good. That movie is ridiculously bad. Yeah. Um. But speaking of trailers and and how um, Steve just said he's a little worried about Suicide Squad, Eternals. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about Eternals. Yeah, I'm excited. So we get Eternals. We get Eternals in real quick. Yeah, it. I mean, I think we're excited because of who made it, and who's in it, as opposed to anything we necessarily saw in the trailer. Um, and I and I will say not to burst everyone's bubble. I think it's gonna be great, but you know, it does look like a Marvel movie. I haven't seen any like Chloe Zhao do it just yet, so we'll see. But you know, keep in mind that was probably what was always going to happen because it is Ben Davis shooting the film. It's sort of the in-house DP, who's not a bad DP, like Three Billboards, um, several other movies. He is not a nobody, but he is a he is sort of the go-to DP. So uh, quickly, Steve, say where you can follow, be followed. Tell me your thoughts on Eternals and recommend a movie, and you can go. Okay, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at FilmSnork. Uh, recommended movie, The Killing of Two Lovers, uh, with mm-hmm. Clayne Crawford. Um, it is, uh, it's a, an experience, and it's, it's, it's interest. it's, how the hell do you explain it? It's about a father whose, whose, whose life is, dis, is disintegrating, is his wife kind of doing a trial separation, and, the sound design in it and the cinematography um, and the editing uh, tell so much for the story that there's much more to it. And, and it, it starts to unfold. And it, as it all comes together, I, I, it's almost like a mystery. There's very high tension. But as it comes together, it's like really kind of numbing the effect of it. Because like it, I don't want to give anything away. But when, it's, when, it, fit, when it was all said and done... Um, this is in my review. Uh, I kind of felt like it was in denial, <clears throat> excuse mm. me, about my experience because I was, felt like I was led one way. All right. I don't want to put this in there because it's too, uh, too spoilerish. Just go see the movie. <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. Um, and uh, you can follow me uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, all those various things. And uh, I'm going to recommend two movies uh, in theaters, Spiral. I still think it's great. And if you want something to watch at home, completely different than Spiral, uh, I probably have recommended this before, but Long Shot. 
I still think it's an absolute oh, delight. I, I rewatched it again. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it is. It is literally one of the most rewatchable things I can think of. It's I I I mean, you know, it ha- it just left like HBO and I think HBO Max and all that recently. Like, I hope it eventually is on like Fox or something like that. Like, it'll be edited, but like it's one of those movies I feel like should play every like four mm. weeks on TV. People, it's just, it needs it's a bigger brilliant. audience. Yeah, it it opened against Endgame, and that was just not fair. Long shot, one of the most satisfying rom coms of that type I've seen in recent memory. Very pleasant surprise. Yes, for sure. All right, go for and, it. And as for Eternals, um, I wouldn't say I was underwhelmed by the trailer, the teaser. Um, it just—I don't know the story, so I, it didn't connect with me all that. And well you still because, don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's there's not much there. They did put that little MCU, very MCU specific uh, comments at the end, bringing in. Yeah, it didn't the land Avengers, as much as I think people. Which is for the general audience, and uh, and yeah, you know, but also it worked for me. That was the weakest moment of the trailer yeah, but, to me, like. Because like, I don't know who, who Richard Madden is yet. Well, exactly. It'll care? probably play better in context when we do know who the characters are. Yeah, well, it, you know, you need... Yeah, it's definitely going to be a scene from the middle of the movie when you already know them. Yeah. You know, so... When you we'll know see. why, that's a ridiculous notion. You know, but yeah. but it, it, it promises MCU more than the rest of the trailer, which I think is the reason they put it in there, because people are going to watch this and say, what the hell am I watching? Now you're like, oh, wait, well, I... Steve Rogers. Boom, I'm going... Well, I mean, exactly. I hope it also explains why maybe they're, you know, they're they're overseers or protectors of the human race, but maybe not like, you know, at their best because, you know, they've guided us, but also the Holocaust and slavery. Yeah, yeah like there's, there's been a couple of things that maybe they were asleep at the wheel for. <laughs> so we'll see. Right. There's more trailers for that. All right, let's wrap up. We'll be back next week. Thank you, everyone. And uh, stay safe. Be well, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.